Good morning, everybody. It's really lovely to um, see you all here, and um, particularly those online who are watching. It's lovely to have you guys um, here also. Um, as Colby said, um, this is we're going to talk about um, vision for uh, 2024, and it's always a really uh, wonderful kind of opportunity to get together. We can think about what God's been doing in the life of the church and where we kind of sense God is wanting to uh, take us. So um, it's always a good time to be able to do this. And as well, what we always do is we have a moment where we reflect on um, how we can sow into the financial life and health of the church. Because in order to get here, where we are today, um, in order to make it over to here, it takes everyone giving, it takes everyone participating, it takes everyone praying, it takes everyone uh, inviting. And to order to make the vision and life of St. August, not only be a great place uh, for us as a church, but really that the heart of the gospel is actually we're called to extend and give away uh, the resources that we've received. We're called to be people through whom which God can impact and um, revitalize their own lives. And that's really the heart and soul um, of the life of St. Augustine. It's not to be just a great place for us, a wonderful place where we can gather the worship is great, the kids thing's going on, the, you know, the coffee's good, the preaching's average, right? It's all, you know, all good for us, but the idea is, in fact, we actually extend these gospel resources um, actually out to others. And that's a little bit about what I want to talk about uh, today. And I, really want, I want to headline that um, by having a look at um, some of the movement and the dynamics that were present in the very early church. So I'm going to read, we're going to read little chunks from the Bible. We're going to talk through that a little bit, and then we'll take it from there. Is that cool? Awesome. Okay, let's go. So what we have in the very, if you're just like new to church, or if you're just new to um, uh, kind of here to uh, St. Augustine's, I mean, the book of Acts really retells um, the story about, um, um, it picks up the story from the birth and um, Jesus' life and ministry, his resurrection. And then it continues on the story of what Jesus continues to do in the life um, of, um, you know, in, around first century Judaism, and continues to do in, in, through the life uh, of the church. And so um, the person writing the book of Acts is a guy called Luke. He wrote Luke's Gospel. And the book of Acts is actually volume number two. And he's writing to the person who probably paid the bill. Um, everyone's got to pay the piper at some point, right? So to my, um, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up from heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen... After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I'm just going to pause here for a second. You know, the thing about Christianity is not just wishful thinking, right? There's actually um, something has happened. It's not just about great advice. Actually, something has happened. And in fact, the thing that has really happened is that God has stepped into the world in the person of Jesus and has actually overcome the power of sin and death and launched a new creation in his resurrection. Literally, something has changed. Something new has begun. Things are different because of the resurrection. And the very thing that is different is that a new creation 
has uh, begun to launch. But this is real history. This is real stuff that's going on here. And in fact, it was like for um, Luke writing this, um, this narrative here, he was really fine with people wanting proof of that. He was really fine with people digging into that. In fact, he basically gathered together a whole lot of documentation and wrote it to this guy, Theophilus. And in fact, Jesus, it talks about you know, actually you know, appearing to people over a number of times as well. And the point being, of course, is Theophilus, if you've got any questions, bro, if you've got any doubts, go and have a chat to some of these people who um, had you know, met and lived and saw uh, the person of Jesus. Theophilus has been invited into talking to the eyewitnesses, right? The eyewitnesses didn't have to make Jesus rise from the dead. The eyewitnesses didn't need to convince that Jesus had raised from the dead, had raised him from the dead. They just had experienced Jesus' resurrection. And Theophilus, if he wanted to, could go and have a chat to them. Okay, next slide. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this commandment. That's to the apostles. That's to the twelve, Jesus' closest um, crew, the ones who were the authorizing um, people to speak about um, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He said to them, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my, that my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you think about it this way. The apostles are gathered here. They're hearing about Jesus. They've just witnessed this kind of most incredible thing. The person they saw die, and not just like, you know, collapse and die, but, you know, crucifixion. It was absolutely like, it was, it was horrific, right? That very person has been, has been raised from the dead and has a new body. And it's like, this is completely mind-blowing, right? So Jesus is saying, okay, this is, but just don't do anything. Stay here until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. But the idea is not that they would just stay here. The vision is, in fact, they would move. There would be an outward movement through, from Jerusalem and, and then to, to, to Judea and then to Samaria and, of course, right out until the very ends of the earth. So they were there, but the vision was for it to move uh, to here. So, but what happens is that, in fact, um, when, one, when Jesus is risen from the dead, is actually those um, apostles received a lot of persecution. It was a very difficult time for them, both kind of socially and economically. For them, there's basically a lot of persecution. Remember that there was the religious leaders who... Um, killed Jesus. Those same religious leaders were not super happy there was raised from the dead, and the disciples were going to be next in line, right? They had plenty of wood, they had plenty of crosses, they were really good at it. They knew what they were doing. So they were next in line. So in fact, what happened was there wasn't this movement out at all. The great pressure of actually just surviving meant that they got focused on just staying alive, right? They just needed to survive. And so they did all that they could just to hang together. They looked out for each other. They made things kind of, you know, there was a kind of mode of survival going on here. But then this happened. The next slide, Mike. Then a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So this, this pressure 
This, it built and built and built. In fact, you know, the, the Apostle Paul, who wrote, later wrote most of the um, New Testament, he was one of the people out there going house to house, literally murdering people, getting them to kind of like, um, you know, to stop talking about this person of Jesus, to stop talking about the resurrection. Because it was leading, they thought, this whole kind of um, the, the Jewish religion astray. So a huge amount of pressure. And basically what happened was that they moved from a movement, the apostles stayed here, but many of the other believers um, were scattered out and, and pushed out. And in fact, the Holy Spirit seemed to gather this momentum and gather this very, very challenging situation and push them even further. If we hit to the next slide, they went out through Judea. Now those who've been scattered, remember this is a Jewish movement at this point, those who were scattered were um, people who could speak other languages and were from other cultures. And as you can see here, those who were persecuted out there was Stephen, after he was killed, they went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. But see this here, spreading the word only among Jews, primarily as a group of people that were scattered. A lot of them were Jews that were talking to people of their own um, culture and with their own language. But have a look at this next slide. However, some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So I want to talk about, at just this point, there's two dynamics. One, if the idea was that the gospel would become right to the ends of the earth, the first dynamic was a shift from survival mode, looking after ourselves and being inward-looking just to survive, to being actually outward-looking. The pressure, and that they were driven to start looking outward. So there was, a, there was a literal turn of basically from being focused down here to becoming outward-focused. The next dynamic, the next movement, was a movement whereby people primarily saw themselves as receivers of the gospel resources. You know, the apostles had great teaching, they had great worship, probably a great kids program and terrible coffee, but that's the way the church works. Um, but, you know, they, uh, they were kind of gathered and around that they saw themselves primarily as receivers of the gospel. In this situation, they actually changed from becoming just receivers of the gospel, gospel resources, to becoming providers of that gospel resource. Does that, can you see that move taking place? So this is very key. That this, well, however good this is, right? However amazing this is, it's never going to reach to the ends of the earth, right? The Jewish language is kind of always going to be culturally bound, bound by language. And here's the thing. And I love good preaching, right? I literally think it's very important. I mean, of course, I get paid a huge amount of money to do it. But it is, it's important. But do you know what? It's not as effective as you think it is. The actually most effective thing for reaching people is actually not to increase the power and quality of preaching, although, my gosh, don't ever let that drop, right? It's actually the people who weren't actually qualified, who didn't have PhDs in theology, to actually be the transmission agents of the gospel power. And that's the thing that reached people. And here's the most painful thing about this. Do you know what? It doesn't actually matter how good this is. It's actually the quality of your lives that actually makes a difference. It's not the quality of my talks, 
Uh, we all know that it doesn't really make that much of a difference. But, you know, it's actually the quality of everybody else's lives and what you're doing that literally makes the difference. So there's a marked shift from being receivers of the gospel resources to being people who are the providers of the gospel resource. And here's the thing that happened from that. Let's read to this next part here. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And it was in Antioch that disciples were first called Christians. So again, let's map the movement here. It was a shift. It was a vision right here. But it was, kind of, it was a shift from going from here to there meant a shift from being inwardly focused to becoming outwardly focused. The second shift that took place, it was a shift from being just receivers of the gospel resources to being people who are providers of gospel resources. Every person's role was to be an agent through which the gospel would reach other people. And then thirdly, what the result of that was is that many other people, as it says here, got in on all of this. And secondly, it led to cultural renewal. It literally led to cultural renewal. The very reason why it talks about here in Antioch, it's very important. Antioch was a very, very important city in the ancient world. It was the second kind of largest uh, city in the Roman Empire, really. It was the kind of Rome number two. Um, and the interesting thing about Antioch, it was a big city, it was a big international city, and the, when it was built, they um, thought, well, gosh, how are we going like, to deal with all these different cultures gathering together? I know what we'll do. We'll make sure we'll keep the Syrians separate from the Greeks, and we'll keep the guys from India separate from the guys from Africa. And it was actually divided up into 18 different cultural precincts, and there were walls to keep people from fighting. Is this making sense? That's one way to do it, I suppose. So they had this city, and it was literally divided up in this way. And then these people came along, and they actually started reaching over those walls from who, people who were Jews reaching out to Greeks, and Greeks were reaching out to Africans, and Africans were reaching out to those who were Syrians, and so on and so forth. And there was something like, what is going on here? And not they were worshipping together? I mean, you've got to remember, in basically in the ancient world, your religion was culturally prescribed, right? It was culturally prescribed. You know, you had your, you know, Jewish religion was Jewish religion. You know, um, African religion was African religion. It was culturally prescribed. Not only that, they were eating together. Like, what the heck? It was one way of keeping your cultural separation was who you ate with. And secondly, they were helping each other from different cultures, from different races. And it's like, what the heck is going on here? Christians were actually, like, it was, became against the law to be a Christian because it was seen to be undermining the very cultural structures that kept society together. How is society going to work? We're going to build these walls. What are these guys doing? They're reaching over the walls. What's that doing? It's undermining our definition of society. Right? But what was happening here was a completely, it was like these guys were acting as if they were a family, yet they were from each from different ethnicities and they spoke different languages. So what was happening here was actually the renewing of culture. Instead of being culturally separated, instead of being divided, instead of treating other with suspicion, they looked at each other and treated each other as brothers and sisters. You know, today, like this, I feel like this would be a bit of a shock, but you know today that Christianity 
is the most culturally diverse religious movement the world has ever seen. Ever seen. The most culturally diverse religion ever. And it's because, in fact, what Jesus has begun is the restoration of the multi-ethnic human family. Right? That's the new thing that Jesus is bringing to life. Often we think what's important about Christianity is getting to heaven when you die. And my gosh, that is important, right? That's super important. But the, you know, a big part of that is actually the healing of the human family. That's important too. And it's actually what's seen here is the multi-ethnic family of humanity being restored together. And it's going to be through that that God gets reflected into the world. This is the way that God's goodness and justice and kindness and mercy and creativity gets reflected into the world. It's when the multifaceted human family starts to get restored together. Then this lens gets to reflect the diversity and the goodness and love of God into uh, the world. So today, you know, Christianity is the most... It's, so, you know, it's hard to believe that today. As we sit here in Auckland Girls Grammar, you know, the back end of the year... In New Zealand, it's hard to kind of get a real sense of that. So here are the numbers. You know, 25% of Christians say, so there's 2.3 Christian, 2.3 billion Christians in the world today, kind of like 31% of the population. That's the best data we've got from 2015. So what that means is like 25% of Christianity today is in Europe, um, 25% is in um, is in North and South America. You know, kind of roughly another 20% is in Africa, 12 in Asia, and 10 in the US. Like, it's super diverse. You know, in Africa, the actual change, like in, uh, 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 yeah, two, uh, 1901, it's like less than 10% of the African population was, Christ, um, was um, Christian. Uh, today, actually, it's over the 40s. So what we've seen in this year, this kind of century, is a massive upsurge in the growth of Christianity in Africa. And by 2050, um, most, of Christian, most of Christianity will be African, right? So in your brains, don't think bald white guy, right, Anglican. Don't think that. That's actually the wrong picture in our brains about what God is doing in the world. God is restoring the human family. And in fact, the diversity within Christianity is even far more, um, it's far more diverse than that. You know, today, it's, obviously it's Sunday today, we all know that. Um, you, know, we're the first, you know, we're the first to see the Sunday sun, and as it rolls around, but as you think about this, as the sun rolls around, kind of becomes Sunday in, in the UK, do you know um, in, in France and in England, the largest congregations in France, in England, the, you know, bless their pasty skin, right? The, but the largest congregations in their, um, you know, a UV-deficient country, <laughs> will be um, uh, of African heritage or, or Caribbean heritage. The largest congregations in the UK meeting, you know, in about 12 hours' time, will be for African heritage or Caribbean heritage. You know, the largest Anglican church, the Anglican church born in England. God bless Thomas Cranmer, 1552. Right? So great. But the largest Anglican church today is in Nigeria and in Kenya. It's literally not in England. Not, it's, it's, it's primarily African. 
The largest congregation meeting, well, sorry, pre-Ukraine war, the largest congregation meeting in Europe today is actually in Kiev, right? In the Ukraine. Now, it's a Nigerian Pentecostal church in Kiev. That will be the largest. Who's getting this? Right? This is like the diversity is absolutely extreme. This is what I'm trying to say. It's like, so the interesting thing here is the more that people identify with the person of Jesus, the more important their culture becomes. The more people have identified in Jesus, the more important their language becomes. In fact, it's Christianity has been the very thing that's kept culture and language um, alive and vibrant within the diversity of these cultures. Laman Sane is a famous African scholar from Gambia, um, he talked about what the very heart of what it meant to be African. He took, I mean, uh, Laman Sane is a fantastic scholar, Yale um, and Harvard kind of guy. He's very smart. Um, he could literally join the staff team at St. Augustine's <laughs> if he was still alive. He just recently died. I met him in England. He's an amazing guy, an absolutely amazing scholar. Comes from a Muslim background, became a Christian. Um, He talked about the flourishing of um, Christianity in Africa and why that is flourishing in Africa so amazingly. And one of the things he talked about was that at the very heart of kind of the African culture is this idea that there's kind of something beyond what we can see. The spiritual world actually is the very thing that animates every part of life. And so the big question for within African culture is who's the most powerful spiritual being? And when Christians came to Africa, what they did is they went like, oh my gosh, you're so right. And that person who's looking, who is over all this is in fact the person of Jesus, the one who was raised from the dead. And it completely made sense in their framework and in their minds. And here's the most important thing. He says this. He said, it was not that the old spells turning benign from overuse had dulled the appetite, but that under challenge, their spent potency sparked a clamor for a valiant God. People sense in their hearts that Jesus did not mock their respect for the sacred or their clamor for an invincible savior. And so they beat their sacred drums for him until the stars skipped and danced in the skies. After that dance, the stars weren't little anymore. Christianity helped Africans become renewed Africans, not remade Europeans. Can you see the power of the gospel as it came from Jerusalem through Judea and to the ends of the earth, reaching Gambia, reaching Africa, reaching Aotearoa, New Zealand, right? But map the movement that made all that happen. This is super important for us today. It was a turn from being kind of protectionist and like in the moment of kind of like going, we've got to survive, right? It was a turn from that to becoming outward looking. It was a turn from um, being just receivers of the gospel resources to actually becoming everyone being provider of gospel resources. And that was the turn that sought people to go like, hey, we've got these resources, let's get out this out to others for those who want it. And the idea, the goal was indeed, as Laman Sarnade kind of mentioned, was cultural renewal, for the renewal of all things. The, one of the phrases, in a way, the ways we think about what of our life together, what were we going for at St. Augustine's? We're trying to follow the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. 
right? The key thing for us at St. Augustine's is not how many people we get in here, which is fun, right? I'm having a good time. But it's actually what you guys do out there. That's going to be the metric by which we mark how successful or not successful uh, we are as a church. How are we going for time? Doing all right? Yeah, cool. So um, one of the things I want to talk about is where we're going to head to as we think about all this for 2014. And it's good to kind of like go back to how we began. We began in 20, uh, 2016 with like 32 adults, um, a handful of kids, I think 19 kids. We kind of gathered together and uh, we got going. Today, uh, not, you know, there's a bit sparse on us today, but actually on the roll, we have 300 adults and 200 kids. Uh, on their roles today. So quite a big change from, from you know, thir- 35 adults and 17 kids. And, of course, it's, it's absolutely wonderful to feel this growth, and that's amazing. Uh, as it stands today as well, we're kind of, um, financially, we're pretty much on budget, to be honest, which is absolutely wonderful. It's not often that a church leader gets to say that, right? And, uh, by the way, if you were just, you know, this is not, I'm not going to take the pressure off by saying that. I'm just letting you all know. I'm not taking any pressure off. But what I do want to communicate and recognize, in fact, we are living in some incredibly difficult economic times. You know, the price of living has gone up. Anyone got a mortgage? Right? Gosh, that's got challenging since we were all paying 2% a little while ago to what we're all paying now. Right? Things have actually been really challenging. And I am just, I, I'm kind of like my breath taken away that the, you know, the, how, how generous you continue to be. How literally generous you continue to be. And I sense that's because we don't just want a place that's good for us, right? We want a great place for not only for our kids, but in fact, we can build something that's really great and wonderful uh, for other people as well. So we are slightly down on our, you know, our target. We're basically 0.7% behind on budget. But, um, you know, so if someone can, like, get us up to over 0.7 today, that would be amazing. So that's where we stand today. But the vision of St. Augustine's is not just we stay here, not that we just have a wonderful, cosy kind of time here on a Sunday. The vision for St. Augustine's has always been really that we will be participating in the renewing of the Church of Aotearoa New Zealand, right, the revitalising of the church. And we kind of sense that's always kind of taken the form of at least these four things. We want to have a flourishing church ministry, right? We literally want a place that's growing and vibrant, that's good for us, and that can be good for other people. We want to be involved in theological tra- uh, training and um, you know, the, the training of leaders. We also want to be involved in church planting uh, in time and, um, and playing a part in the revitalizing of the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. At its heart, there's a sense in which kind of it's on our watch, And it's really difficult to see this, but what we see around the country is a number of empty churches and a society full of empty people. There's so many people without hope, without a sense of direction or purpose, and now like deeply disconnected from God and from each other. And what we would love to see is not only these churches filled and a sense of reconciliation to God, but a sense of reconciliation within ourselves, also with other people. So that's how our heart, we long to actually see this happen. You know, I talked about this um, earlier on in the year. We, um, uh, Steve from the Governance Committee and I, we went to London and we made this wonderful connection with a network of churches who plant over there called the Church Revitalization Trust. 
And that's been wonderful. We continue to have those discussions, and that's you know, bubbling along really nicely. It's a bit slower than we wanted, but it's the UK, so we don't mind. <laughs> you know, they're thorough, right? So it's just not happening fast enough. But it is, those things are continuing. You know, what we are seeing as well, in very small ways, it's wonderful. We're having Matt sending off to Christchurch, a leader from St. Augustine's getting ordained, going to off to be part of the church in Christchurch. We've got another person in St. Augustine's who's basically going training for ordination as we speak. Wonderful to have Sam and Stacey with us from, you know, from, the, um, from Titai Tokarau. And wonderful to be having these guys with us because you know, once a month, Sam and Stacey, they're up at Motortel leading a service on a marae up, up north. It's absolutely amazing. And Sam's here. We're going to give him a round of applause. Go, Sam. <laughs> Woo! Such a pleasure and honor to be a part of extending it up there. But the real temptation for us as we're kind of here but as we want to move to here, the temptation is a church outside because we've got these, you know, we've got challenges to think about, we've got financial challenges to think about, space challenges to think about, we're in a rent of premises. The challenge for us is this, is that we start wondering about, gosh, is this going to be enough communion wafers today? Is the wine good enough? I don't know. Oh, it's so good we've got gluten-free. Uh, is there enough... Um, I wonder if we do have enough coffee today. So have we got like oat milk? Have we got you know, decaf? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. How many songs do we have, Andy, today? Oh, four songs. Okay, that's good. Are they all kind of they all kind of right? Yeah, okay, cool. That's all that kind of flow together. So that's really good. Peter, how's the budget going? Oh, it's, oh that's okay. It's 0.7. Okay, it's had worse before. That's fine. And how's the kids' church? Yeah, okay, cool. Kids' church is going great. We're going to get some resources. And we need some youth. We're going to get that sorted. Okay, cool, cool, cool. We get that sorted. So what are we going to do for Christmas? Can you see what's going on here? Right? We've got challenges. We've got to sort this out. But the problem is we turn. We, remain, we have our back turned from the very people we're supposed to be serving as we think about our own stuff. Is that right? And it's such a temptation at this point in time and this size as we think about how do we, can we can get caught in survival mode and forget that, in fact, it's a vision we've got to be moving towards. Now, these things, don't get me wrong, these things matter, right? This matters. Getting these things actually matters. They have to be done, right? Set up happened today because people literally got out of bed early and set the place up. Worship happens today because Andy caught an Uber and got out of bed early and Chloe organized the music and then Isaac was up there and Mike's up there. We're like It's literally people, like these things all take people. It all matters. It's like, but guys, it's so tempting to like, just get focused on that, start talking amongst ourselves and getting this place great and we forget to be open. We forget to be always inviting. We're forgetting that all we need to do is lead with love. To be like having the gospel resources, not stay just within here, but to extend out there. I th- we are at a moment where we actually literally need to have a mindset shift. And I'm going to lead us on a journey into 2014 as we really start swinging the dial kind of outwards um, as we do that. We're basically going to do that in a number of different ways. Um, no cattle prods involved. <laughs> it's just kindness, right? It's an invitation. It's kindness. But um, we're going to head into, head into a teaching series around generosity and justice. Generosity, because actually, you know, what we've received from God comes from God's heart of generosity. 
what we have to give people is the goodness of God, right? And justice as well. Again, so important. We forget, again, that the key to the gospel is actually God's incredible act of justice to putting the world right. All of these things is a movement outwards, to focus outwards as we think about, you know, how do we be people that God can use in the world to be providers of gospel resources? So that's the first thing. We're going to head on a bit of a teaching series down this way. Um, The second thing we're going to be doing is we're going to um, be um, launching a couple of programs. We want to kick into the marriage course, which is something that's done by um, our good friends and Alpha, which is an amazing course. But again, what we're wanting to do is not just have a great marriages and great course for us. It's actually incredibly evangelistic. People in our world today actually want to have their marriages work. They want to have great relationships. They want to be having flourishing kind of families, um, which is life and health. This is a thing that people want. We noticed that there's actually data out there. It's going to be released actually on Thursday, but someone got to have a little sneak look. And actually it's one of the key things in the um, faith and life survey. It's just coming out. That actually one of the things that big on the top of the list for Kiwis is actually their personal relationships, and in particular their marriage relationships. We've got gospel resources that we can actually help with that and to bring around a sense of flourishing. Not all the answers, but at least some help along the way. The second thing we're going to be, uh, we want to launch into is uh, Alpha or the Life Course. We're going to have a short, sort of exactly what name we're going to call it. We don't really care, um, but we're actually going to be stepping into, um, you know, providing a course, providing a context, really church for those who don't know, who are just for the curious, um, so that many, many others can come to get to know Jesus. And often for us, we forget what kindness this is, right? Because we live in a context where actually, you know, we feel that church attendance is dropping, and it is. But did you know that people's interest in spirituality in New Zealand today is actually massively on the rise? 86% of Kiwis are actually super interested in spirituality. 72% said, like, in a time of crisis or in a time of real loss, the thing they want to do is pray. This is non-Christians, let alone Anglicans, who are, I don't know, we're about on the scale, right? This is the kind of the natural reflex, is to reach out to God. There's a real openness. 48% of people said they would go to an alpha course if only someone would ask them. Right? 48% of people said they would go to an alpha course, as, you know, but they just need to be asked. So we want to provide a context where people can be asked to come along. Again, the, the key here is not that we've just got the great resources for ourselves. I mean, that's absolutely amazing. But actually, the church comes alive. It becomes what it was created to be when we actually can extend and get those gospel resources out uh, to others. Bonhoeffer um, said this. We got this last quote. The church is the church only when it exists for others. 2024 is going to be a time where we really start to make a turn. I think we've done really well, built a pretty good home base here, but literally, guys, we're going to start making a turn. It's about reaching out to others. But So today, um, 
We, uh, like I said before, we're like 0.7 on, uh, you know, we're kind of pretty close on budget. But in order to get the marriage course going, in order to get the, uh, to, in order to get Alpha going, in order to get the prayer course going, in order to build like another kind of kids' room situation for us here, we basically need new finance in the pot in order to get that done. Like I said today, we're kind of running right dead on budget as we are, but we want to extend. We want to get these new things done. In order to do that, literally, it's going to take new finance to get this um, across the line. So this is where I'm wanting to land today. We're wanting to do these new things. We're wanting to extend. We're wanting to step out. And so today's the opportunity to think, gosh, and, you know, where am I at? I wish, like, literally my job, I feel, as, as the church leader, is just to put the challenge before you, to put the ask in front of you. And then what we do next is up to you and God. And so we're going to take a moment. We're actually just going to, you know, we've, oh, you've got some given cards, just to take a moment to, A, review where you're at. Because, um, again, this is for, this is for um, church um, family here. If you're just a guest, I'm very sorry about all this. So just kind of bracket this out of your brains. Do give us $10,000 if you want to. But, you know, um, just, uh, you know, literally, people, a guest wants to turn up and do, do this. Really good. So don't bracket yourself out of this. But So one is to just have a think about, is my giving right size for 2023, and will it be right size to get us into 2024? The second thing would be, um, essentially, if we, uh, some one-off gifts would actually give us a real confidence to move into these areas, to actually go, hey, we're going to really go for the life course, or for Alpha, we're going to really go for um, uh, the marriage course also. But again, this is a situation where you have to just like be before God um, about all of this. Um, the church, essentially, is not the work of staff. It's not the work of the few, right? It's the work of the many. The idea here is that we are all not just receivers of the gospel, but actually we become providers of the gospel and the resources. And so I just want to take a moment now and think like, hey, how can I be pitching into that? The co-papa here, or the kind of tikanga here, I should say, at St. Augustine's, is in fact, we want everybody praying, we want everybody giving, we want everybody participating, and we want everybody welcoming, right? What I'm saying is we're all in, right? We're all in on all of this. So let's just take a moment now. I want to give you a minute, okay? Just give yourself a minute. Just be before God and go like, hey, what? Ask, ask, ask the Lord this question. Lord Jesus, this is your church. You're after the renewal of all things. How do you want me to financially participate in that? Right? Simple prayer. Ready, set, pray. Pray.